Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Thursday, February 16th. The war in Ukraine hits the one-year mark next Friday of the day Russia began the invasion, with an estimated 14 million people displaced from their homes and the incredible hardships, including shortages of food, power, and medical care for those who remain in their homes, not to mention those being killed, all because Russia is targeting civilian targets so much. Today, we'll discuss the military state of the war, including whether either side can actually win or break the relative stalemate they've been in for basically the whole year, whether anything can move the two sides to compromises for the sake of peace, getting, um, you know, is it getting time for some Ukrainians to give Russia something that it doesn't deserve? Plus, the politics and finances of United States and European military aid, how politically or economically sustainable are they, and how do they affect the military strategies on both sides? And with us for this is Fred Kaplan, who writes the military affairs column for Slate called War Stories. He knows Russian affairs from having been a Boston Globe-Moscow correspondent, and he is the author of books, including his latest, The Bomb, President's generals, and the secret history of nuclear war. Fred's been extremely productive recently, by the way. So if we have time, we might also touch on his take on how the Chinese spy balloon incident was, in a way, a big misunderstanding, though in a way not. His debate on U.S. policy with foreign affairs journalist Robert Wright on foreign policy, and maybe even his recent article on why jazz versions of songs by the Beatles are always bad, except for a new album by the piano player Brad Meldow. (laughs) So, Fred, thanks for taking some time from your well-worn writing keyboard for us today, and welcome back to WNYC. Sure, always a pleasure. So is either side winning this war? Uh, No, not really. Uh, An outfit called the Institute for the Study of War published a very interesting graph the other day where measuring how much land each side has taken over time. And if you look at the map, a few months ago, Russia had a kind of a big spurt. And then a few weeks ago, Ukraine had a big spurt. But basically, it's flat. In other words, neither side has taken any territory, despite, you know, I mean, the the fighting is fierce. Uh, There was a a battle recently where Russia lost an entire brigade. That's about a thousand soldiers in two days. Mm. Uh, Russia has lost, the estimates have it, about a half of their tanks. Ukraine has lost about a third of its tanks. Uh, It's just, and, and what, and Putin's strategy right now, he's preparing for an offensive, everybody says. But what this offensive has amounted to so far is just throwing ill-trained troops into battle as, uh, you know, just just cannon fodder, uh, just to keep the Ukrainians from regrouping for their offensive, from having to remain on the defensive. Uh, But it's just, 
it, it's it's a kind of uh of, of fighting that that really harkens back to to the early years of World War One. Uh, everybody is dug in. Occasionally, somebody will mount this this wild-eyed, mad rush toward the, toward the front, only to get plowed down. It's 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 a kind of warfare that really nobody ever thought we we would ever see in 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 the heart of Europe again. You mentioned those thousand troops uh, in a two-day offensive, and all those tanks. Both sides are losing. Do you have a rough human casualty casualty count? for either side, for the year, like numbers of soldiers or civilians killed or wounded on either side. I've seen U.S. officials quoted saying 200,000 Russians dead or wounded and 100,000 Ukrainians so far. Do you have any numbers? Those are the same numbers I've read. I mean, on the Russian side, between 150 and 200,000. Maybe on the Ukrainian side, 80,000, 200. And and we don't know... uh, how many of you know it's wounded and dead we don't know right. how many are wounded how many dead this right. this is based on things like satellite photography of you know things like abandoned armored vehicles and then inferences of how many people were attached to those vehicles and and their support units before and they're no longer there so you assume that they're gone in other words nobody's doing an on the ground survey of People in hospitals, or it, it's it's these are all very rough estimates. Mm-hmm. And in in some ways, you know, this is the most in terms of data gathered. It's the most real time, transparent war maybe that we've ever seen. Uh, on the other hand, uh, there's also still a lot of uncertainties about about the precise numbers of of, of what's happening. And for a little historical context, just to reflect on. How many people are being killed or wounded in such a short, concentrated period of time? The total U.S. death toll for the entire Vietnam War, which was like a decade, is around 58,000. That's the number of names that are etched in the Vietnam War Memorial in Washington. That took 10 years. Well, and the number of, of total Russian deaths in Afghanistan, which was also about 10 years, was 15,000. Hmm. 15,000. Right. Though I guess so when this, we talk and, about, if I bring yeah. up Vietnam, I should acknowledge that it's generally believed that millions of Vietnamese were killed. Yeah, we, we, we don't know. Yeah, exactly. And I assume the Russian casualties are all soldiers. Any yes. idea the percentage of the Ukrainian casualties who would be civilians? I think the, the casualty numbers that they're talking about are just soldiers. Uh, I'm not sure about, obviously, civilians is, is it's much fewer uh, you know, let's say a, a, a bomb hits a school. Uh, now, I don't mean to sound callous about this, but, you know, if a dozen people died, that would be an enormous number, of, a, l- a large number of people. If there's some fighting on, on the field, uh, a, a dozen people isn't so many. So so the vast majority of, of these deaths are, are military. But when I said in the intro that it's become increasingly part of the Russian strategy to target civilian targets to yeah. wear down the population if they can't win on the battle- battlefield. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's completely accurate. I mean, this is really warfare at its crudest, not just for civilians, but also the military. When the Russians have mounted an offensive, again, it's just rushing troops into the fray. 
let's say they had a breakthrough. You know, they broke through a defensive line. The, the whole idea of these kinds of offensives, theoretically, is you break through a line and then you surround the troops, you envelop them, and then you, you make the, the, the hole in the defense even bigger. Russia's army and, and its militia allies have, have shown no ability to exploit, to, to capitalize on any breakthroughs that they have. It's just, and you know, a lot of their, the troops they're using, well, you know, th- th- this, this, this uh, group of, uh, of private militias, they've been recruiting people from prisons saying, here, come with us, come to the line, and then you'll be free when you're done. But they're just being thrown into battle. The, the, the assumption is that they're going to die. They're just being thrown on in there just to mm. be killed, to absorb Ukrainian bullets and missiles. And, and you know, they're, they're use, both sides are using about a, a million artillery shells a month. I mean, the, the carnage is just incredible. And yes, uh, Russia has no plan for 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 the kind of strategic victory, so they're just blasting uh, electrical power plants, cities, and yeah, the whole idea is to try to wear out the patience of the Ukrainian population and of the Ukrainian army before uh, a huge influx of of new weapons and supplies will will come in uh, from the West, mainly from the United States. Uh, and and the, the the purpose the whole point of Ukrainian strategy right now, which can't mount a, a tremendous offensive until it gets more of these weapons, is just to hold on to to keep uh, the Russian army uh, contained. And and luckily, the, this Russian offensive is so incompetent, so crude, that as long as the Ukrainians are, are, are remained can can remain dug in and have enough weapons just to to hold off their offensive, uh, this isn't so difficult. Fred, I know someone personally here in New York who is from Ukraine and is in regular touch with people back there. And this person said to me recently that the Ukrainian people are starting to sour on Zelensky and his insistence on continuing this war with the humanitarian disaster it's bringing and that there's a growing sense that it would be better to live under Russian control than keep living with this, awful as everything about Putin and this war is. I have no idea if this person I know is in a tiny bubble or if there's really a souring on Zelensky and the war in any broad sense. I can find nothing suggesting that in the media that I've scoured, but I figured it at least is worth a question. So have you heard anything other than Ukrainians remain in a staunch no surrender mode in public opinion. Yeah, I mean that's what the public opinion polls go. You know, it's it's kind of funny. I was thinking when you said, you know, this friend of yours who's been in touch with the Ukrainian people. I mean, imagine if there was well with individuals. Say, well, know. right, but I mean, you know, it would be like somebody who's in touch with American friends back home, and well, the question are these. Americans in Manhattan? Are they in Little Rock, Arkansas? You know, about, about any issue. Where are they? What, what kind of people are we talking about? The polls indicate that the massive majorities on both sides are in favor of the war. Now, are these polls reliable? I don't know. I think the Russian polls are probably not. I mean, if somebody, if you're in Moscow and you know that it's against the law. You can be thrown in jail for a long time to even criticize the war or to criticize Putin. 
and somebody calls you on the phone and say, I'm with Public Opinion Institute, what do you think of the war? Are you going to say, no, I really don't like it at all? The guy has your phone number, probably your name. Uh, on the Ukrainian side, you know, there's, there's a lot of punishment for collaborators. Uh, let's say you really are tired of the war. Are, are you going to say that? You might even think if I say that, it's going to be bad for morale, which indeed it would be. So I don't know if we know much at all about what the... And then, you know, you, you have a million Ukrainians out of the country. You have a, more than a million Russians who have gone into exile because it's not the kind of country they want to live in anymore. So popular opinion is a, is a fuzzy, ill-defined thing in this conflict. I do think, though, that... Uh, I mean, I, I've said this before, I think, that if back in February of last year, if Putin had amassed all of these troops, 150,000 troops, and then if all he had done was just to occupy the, those eastern territories, you know, Donetsk and Luhansk, which he has always claimed were more Russian, and, and the polls at the time showed were more pro-Russia, and if that's all he had done and done no more, and said, okay, this is part of Russia now, I think he probably would have gotten away with it, uh, both in mm. Ukraine mm -hmm. and in the international community. I can't see the United States sending $20 billion in weapons to Ukraine. I'm not saying it would have been right. I just don't see it would have happened. But the fact that he mounted an invasion of all of Ukraine and that he has occupied these easternmost territories, and hasn't made much progress since February in those areas, uh, and has bombed and, and, and just murdered uh, so many civilians, it has turned opinion even in the eastern parts of Ukraine against Russia. And I think if there was a peace talks tomorrow, and Zelensky just said, okay, yeah, you can have those two districts, I think that would be seen by a lot of Ukrainians as a horrible betrayal. Jerome in the Bronx, you're on WNYC. Hi, Jerome. Hi. Um, so I'm calling about a recent op-ed page in the uh, op-ed article in the New York Times. I don't remember the author's name, but uh, I think it was titled something like uh, "This is Biden's War with Russia," and the premise was that. Um, uh, that we are increasingly, we are sending increasingly more sophisticated weapons, uh, more powerful weapons to um, the, the war, and these require um, all kinds of backup um, intelligence, um, you know, uh, on the part of the United States to to make them effective, and that. Um, this is something like, the, and, and, and it's going to require uh, American uh, sophisticated uh, people trained to maintain these weapons, and they're not necessarily going to be Ukrainians. And, and he was pointing to kind of a mission creep that uh, if things go the way they, they are going, it will lead to a direct conflict ah. with Russia. Fred, well, your, your thoughts? Yeah, I would say two things. One, it is true that the U.S. has been providing intelligence information to Ukraine from the very beginning, and this has been crucial. 
Uh, Ukraine has been able to mount ambush operations, for example, against Russian troops because our intelligence agencies have been informing their commanders where the Russian troops are, where they have been, where they're going, uh, the kinds of communications that are going back and forth between Russian troops and their officers and so forth. It's, this has been vital. This has been absolutely crucial to the Ukrainian war effort. Uh, it is also true that we're sending increasingly sophisticated weapons, which require uh, maintenance and so forth, although Ukrainians are being trained to do this on bases either in Germany or Poland. Uh, I, I do not think that U.S. armed forces are actually on Ukrainian soil. As for the mission creep, I mean, one thing to say is that President Biden and really every other leader of, of the other NATO countries involved has been very careful to avoid crossing that line. I mean, Biden has said, you know, that we've drawn, we've, we've respected many of Putin's so-called red lines, even when they turn out not to be red lines. However, one red line that I don't think we're going to cross is that, uh, you know, not putting U.S. troops on the ground or in the sky over Ukraine, not allowing Ukraine to have weapons that uh, could strike deep within Russian territory. Uh, and, and I think, you know, Biden has said this many times. We do not want to start World War III. I, I think that, that the war, uh, although the, its popularity here is declining a bit, it is still overall quite popular. And the reason for that is that no American soldiers have been killed. I think that the minute that, that an American soldier is killed in the war, hmm. uh, you know, I, I think, and, and or a German soldier or a French soldier or whatever, I think that is when uh, support really goes south. And I'm pretty sure that, that all the Western leaders realize this. And, uh, you know, they, they spend a fair amount of time reminding Zelensky of this, while, while providing him with, with, with really, I mean, anybody who says that, that we're really, you know, being very skimpish in, in providing uh, Ukraine with, with military support really ought to take a look at the list of stuff that, that we've been sending them. It, it's, it's really extraordinary. We have two minutes left. <clears throat> two things, briefly. One, while we're on the corporate profit side, did you see the Times article today, New York Times, about multinational companies already jockeying for position on contracts to rebuild Ukraine after the war? I wonder if that means the end of the war is in sight or just that companies are taking the long economic view of their interests. I don't think the companies have any insight, any special insight into when the war is going to be over. And I think they're planning for the long term. So how does this end? Uh, I think it ends, like most wars end, uh, well, with one of two things, one of two ways. Somebody on the inside kills Putin, and uh, a more conciliatory leader comes to the fore. Uh, neither of those things, by the way, are necessarily going to happen, and the one doesn't necessarily lead to the other. Mm. The other way is some kind of diplomatic solution after both sides are completely exhausted. Uh, and, uh, you know, people say, let's have a diplomatic solution now. The problem with that is it would be a surrender only by Ukraine. There is nobody, we have no leverage over Russia, and nobody else is applying pressure on Russia. If uh, 
say the United States had perfectly copacetic relations with China right now, one could envision the possibility where we team up together, Washington and Beijing, we pressure Ukraine, Beijing pressures Russia, and they both go to the peace table. But that that isn't the case right now. So we are both both sides. Each side thinks that they might win, and therefore they're going to hold out, hoping the other side caves in first. And as long as that is the case, uh, the war is going to continue. Fred Kaplan writes the column called War Stories for Slate. He's the author of books including his latest, The Bomb, Presidents, Generals, and the Secret History of Nuclear War. And if you want to know about his take on why jazz albums that cover Beatles songs are always bad, except a new one by the piano player Brad Meldow, you will just have to read it for yourself on Slate. Fred, thank you very much for coming on. Sure. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.